What's up, Docalos and Docalettes? You are listening to The Documenteers, the greatest podcast about documentaries in existence ever. I am your host, Bob Sham, here to bring you another groovy episode of The Documenteers. And this episode might be a little early because I got to take a little trip. Sadly, I'm going to a funeral. Uh, my grandfather, he passed away at the age of 93. And he overdosed on cocaine. No, that's not true. I don't know why I said that. He He's an old Navy guy, a New England man through and through. And he will be greatly missed by a very many people. That said, this is a Johnny episode. So we're going to be discussing the spiritual side of things. And this film came out in, I believe, 2016. And it is a CNN film called Enlighten Us directed by Jenny Karchman, and it is streamable right now on Netflix, and it's about the the rise and fall of a man named James Arthur Ray, a guru type who was so up into his own hubris that at a retreat that he was heading up, people died. And if that's not enough to tantalize you, then I don't know what will. Anyways, let's get on to this film. Enlighten Us by director Jenny Karchman. And let's see if we can get enlightened. Let's see if we can understand the nature of this guru bullshit. Though I called it bullshit, so that might be a clue. Love ya. Rest in peace, Rampy. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. I, let me just, let me start over because let me tell you, I'm gonna, I will be all over the place. This dude we're talking about today has a serial killer name. Yeah, his name is James Arthur Ray. Every time they said it, I heard James Earl Ray. People just call him James Ray most of the time. Yeah. Or James. This episode, I'm going to call him Jar. Excellent. I think it's it really was convenient in my notes to just call him Jar. All right. He looks like a fucking Jar with a stupid face. <laughs> Those low-budget Scott Stapp-looking ass. <laughs> I immediately assumed he was living in Orlando. I forget where he actually was. California, right? He was uh, imprisoned in Arizona. I mean, he's still on probation, so I don't know if he gets to leave the state or not. I don't know the uh, rules of that. This looked like a patchy desert. It was out west. Yeah. But when I saw him in those, his brother, those flip-flops and the, the shorts and the affliction t-shirt, <laughs> absolutely. You know that dude's country because that affliction shirt is his nice shirt. It's like, we got to put on this My Affliction shirt. The documentary crew is coming. The movie, yeah, the movie camera's going to be here. i got to put on my good shirt. you got to put your best foot forward. Now, we were both kind of like country-ass kids. Oh, hell yeah. What was your good shirt? I had a few polyester ones that I picked up, like some polyester disco-type eggshell color with crisscrossed brown stripes, grandma's carpet brown stripes. The good shirts I had, I had... A remarkable amount of shirts with surfboards on them. Mm. And Tennessee is a landlocked state. Like, why would I need all these? And why are they even being sold at the <laughs> local mall? But it was the early 90s, too. So these, oh, yeah. 
So these shirts would be like neon colors, like mm-hmm. bright neon colors mm-hmm. and jams and shit. The nice shirt wasn't the shirt that you, your nice button up shirt. Mm-hmm. The nice shirt was the most recent shirt you got. I don't know why I would get these shirts very large. I could probably wear these shirts now, but it's just pictures of me wearing neon orange jams with mm. some longboard surfer shirt. Mm-hmm. They're a little trashy. <laughs> Back in rural Tennessee, who'd have thought? Dude, picture of me with my first guitar in Arkansas. Dad bought a little gremlin, you know, like the strings were about like six inches off the fretboard. Yeah. Or at least like half an inch. It was really hard to play. But it's a picture of me in front of this wall of guitars holding my holding my little gremlin acoustic. And I've got like this bowl cut... I think a Hawaiian, a Hawaiian Island Creations shirt, <laughs> and then just like some board shorts and um, those those checkered Vans slip-ons. What is it with like kids from the early '90s and late '80s were really into clothes that had tropical themes on them? I'm unsure, actually. Not sure. I know for me, it was probably someplace I was far away that I don't live at, so I had that charm. Oh yeah. As an adult, it's like, God, I gotta go to fucking Florida. <laughs> I've probably been to Florida a hundred times. I know the feeling. Florida is a beautiful place, but what for all those people that are walking around in it? Man, Iggy Pop said he he's in Miami. Uh-huh. I assume it's his version of retirement. He's not touring anymore. He's doing his radio show on BBC Six. But he's living in Miami. And he said he's there because any red-blooded kid growing up in the 50s and 60s dreams of Florida. <laughs> that was the promised land of the time. That was where you went to relax and take it easy. It's salt life, bro. And just enjoy your life. So he followed through with his childhood dream. I'll never understand that sentiment. It's a good place to have your shirt off all the time. Yeah, it's not so bad. There was a, a WTF <laughs> interview with Iggy Pop and Mark Marin describes them talking on his back porch. And then impromptu of nothing, Iggy Pop just takes his shirt off and just continues the conversation. <laughs> Gotta love that. It's exactly what you'd want it to be. Maybe he thinks his fans are more comfortable seeing him that way. (laughs) They're probably, he's probably right. Or he just doesn't like wearing a shirt. I think if he, he could either, I think he does like not wearing a shirt. Mm -hmm. I think his fans are comfortable with him not wearing a shirt. But if he was dressed in like a furry costume at the same time, it seems like that would also somehow make sense. I feel like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. He could just dress in extreme layers or little to nothing, and it'd be fine. But this movie we are discussing is called Enlighten Us, directed by Jenny Karchman. You can find this movie streaming on Netflix right now. It's not a Netflix original. It was made by CNN Films. That's right, Johnny. The Clinton News Network. Oh. George oh, Soros. Man. So we can't, we can't trust any of this. No. This guy's probably really great. Paid actors. Crisis actors. False flags. James Arthur Ray. That's what this film is about. And James Arthur Ray, he's a, a guru. He can tell you how to get what you need out of life, how to get what you want. Johnny, have you, have you ever experienced pain? No. Uh, if you said no to James <laughs> Arthur Ray at a seminar, he'd be like, don't bullshit me, Johnny. Oh, yeah. And then he'd like look like the dude who's telling it like it is. And then you'd be put off by him. And then everyone would be like, you know, he's just keeping it 100. Make you share your most painful secrets yeah. in front of an entire hotel conference room. And a lot of people seem to have of no people. qualms sharing their secrets. 
No. It looks like his seminars are a good hour of him saying the same inspirational stuff in a loop over and over again in different ways. And then the next hour to two hours are people walking up into a microphone and giving him stories that he can tell mm-hmm. at other conferences. It, it really seems like the audience is doing half the inspirational work for him. Oh, hell yeah. Which is pretty smart. You got to hand it to yeah. him for that. Who, what, what is this guy? He's the guru. He's a guru. Is he like a Tony Robbins type? Uh, he's the only He's the only kid I know of who was excited to start kindergarten. I, I wrote that down. Yeah, we heard that story a couple times. But he was a little weird, wasn't he? He was a little weird. You know who else was a little weird when they were kids? James Earl Ray. And us. Oh, yeah. We yeah, were. we were pretty weird. I'm just guessing you were, and I'll, I'm confirming um, yes, I was. Yes, I, I most definitely was. <laughs> Didn't really fit in too well in North Mississippi. Uh, at the beginning, we James is telling some anecdotal story. Also, James Arthur Ray, serial killer name we said. I'm going to call him Jar. Jar. Jar says some weird anecdotal story about how some camera guy, when he was at a big conference, wouldn't put the camera on him. And he was like, God, oh, what are you being paid for here? And this is after he co- he's come out of jail because he's got the Scott Stapp hair. Yes, yes, he does. He's got the Scott Stapp goatee. And he's also wearing, I assume, his brother's Affliction t-shirt. <laughs> I think they just interchanged them. Hey, brah, is, your, uh, is this your Affliction t-shirt? <laughs> nah, brah, I think uh, mine's uh, got like a like a tribal tiger on it. Oh, yeah, well, this one has like a like a cross with some like tribal tattoos coming out of it. Yeah, it's that shiny black on regular black. Is that yours? <laughs> yeah, 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 well, Can I borrow it? Yeah, bro. Cool. October 8th, 2009. Emergency services are called, and they have three codes and one burn victim. Three people have passed away. We see some beautiful Western shots. The authorities say homicide, but we'll get into that tragedy later because we got some inspiration to parse through first, Johnny. 2007, Jar. Remember, Jar is James Arthur Ray. Mm -hmm. Big speaker at an event. Uh, We meet some people who are clients of his or former clients. We meet Brandy Amstel, and I love Brandy's story. It's like this, it's like the most generic pre-guru fad story ever. I was skeptical at first. I was skeptical at first. Oh, well, it's just to establish that this is a very rational person who believes in nothing, Mm -hmm. who suddenly super believes in everything. Donita and Wayne Parker, I think they're still involved. Beverly Bunn, people. I'm not going to lie. They all seem pretty fucking generic to me. <laughs> they seem like uh, people who are seem to be doing all right and yet feel like there's something lacking. Mm-hmm. This seems to be the big theme with these people. These seminars, these retreats are very expensive. And if you're looking for some financial independence, some financial freedom, and you're able to just drop 10 grand to go out into the desert into a sweat lodge... From where I'm sitting, you're not doing so bad. And maybe Mm. it's just a self-confidence issue more than a financial issue. Unless, God forbid, you're taking from your kid's uh, college tuition. Maybe some of these people are. It's it's not unheard of. A lot of people, I mean, if you read up on Scientology and a lot of these self-help spirituality cults that are floating around now, whether they're called cults or not, they're pretty culty. Yeah focused around like a central leader there's a lot of people who go into debt believing that this is an investment in 
their future, like their financial future as well as their soul. So it's kind of seems like the people they interviewed, though, were were able. They had that money to spare. They seem to be doing okay on the surface. But we'll get more into those fools later. We meet John Ray. That's uh, James's brother, Jar's brother. And he's gone to get Jar out from prison. Jar's been locked up for two years for this occurrence out in the desert in which people have died. And he's got a cooler full of fruity drinks and kombucha because Jar loves that I shit. I saw Fiji water. Fiji water. And he's got his affliction shirt on. He's got an affliction shirt for Jar. Apparently. They've got their affliction set out. This movie... Is also an ad for Affliction Gear. It appears so. Jar starred in the Secret movie, uh, and he was on Oprah, and that changed everything in his life. It apparently did. Now, the Secret is about manifesting what you want through positivity. We've touched base on the Secret in past episodes. Our very first one, Jim and Andy Stewart, and I discussed that there's some Secret level shit going on because. Jim Carrey, he talks about manifesting his own success. Right, 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 right. I think you called it something like yuppie spirituality. Yeah, yuppie spirituality. It's really just chaos magic. That's all it is. I think people need to admit more to being into chaos magic. Yeah, but you don't have to, like, write your wish onto a piece of paper and then masturbate onto it, you know? That's that's just one thing you could do because you have to do some personal energy and set it forth to the sigil. That's true. But chaos magic and the manifestation of these understands the reliance that the power is manifested from you and your process of belief. The thing about the secret and all this is they're making it seem like that you're super interconnected with something that's already there. Chaos magic acknowledges that it's coming from you, but it acknowledges that that is powerful. And this is like very much the Cliff Notes version of chaos magic. Of course. So... It's it's taken me a while to get through the psychic Bible. Chaos magic is pretty much the only religious thing that I I really enjoy talking about anymore. I think it's fascinating, but I can't. We'll break it down over episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, because there is, you're right, there is a lot of that spirituality going around in a lot of the things we've reviewed so far. Even in the non-religious episodes that you haven't done it seems to kind of come up with these personalities even in the non-religious even in the religious episodes that are christian like there is a certain amount of that in um in jesus camp but it's more like it's not the power within it's the power coming from some outside force like you were saying so i I assume that chaos magic will be a recurring theme Cool. I need to read up on it. Let's make up some sigils after the show. I'll let you do that. We don't have to masturbate at them. Maybe we can, like, make ourselves cry onto them or something. But Jar served two years. We see him with family. He just got out. They're all crying, talking to the camera because this movie is focused on him. Mm -hmm. It's about him and he's involved, which is good. I tried to help people, and this is my reward. But then he starts discussing, what's your motive for being good? And he talks a lot about how jail helped him. You might hear him seem like he's accepting responsibility. It seems like it. But he's not really discussing what really occurred that much. He's discussing the positivity he got from going through the prison experience. Jar says he feels really blessed and that there's nothing to complain about. We'll see about that. He also said that God gives us what we deserve. Like he's accepting this, he's accepting this jail sentence and he's like, well, you know, this came from God. This is a, this is like a gift. This is something that has helped me grow. Like you were saying. And the people who died, they deserve that. I'm assuming. 
He said us, not me. You I are. assume everything is like part of the divine plan. We meet a woman named Laura Tucker. Laura is at a seminar. I think this is before a lot of this goes down. She's discussing her fear of singing. He asked, what are you afraid of? And she goes, singing? I mean, she's giving him her fear. Yeah. And he goes, oh, well, what are you going to sing for us? And she sings, oh, Canada. Now, she shouldn't be afraid of singing. She should remove that fear and also understand that she's not a good singer. It's okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's totally fair. I'm not going to be a power forward in the NBA. It's never going to happen. And my basketball ability is embarrassing. But if I want to try, that'd be fun, right? It, w- it would be fun. It would be fun if you wanted to try in front of one of Jar's crowds that come to him for his seminars. Then you're already going to have a supportive group because they're already aware that you're facing your fear. If you, like, went to, I don't know, where do people even play basketball around here? Uh, I'm not parks? a sports. I'm not a sports guy. <laughs> yeah, if you just went to a random park, these things call parks, <laughs> and these dudes are doing layups. They're dunking. They're they're obviously good. They do this a lot. And then you went up to them and you're like, "Hey, can I play?" That would be a totally different environment yeah. than what is what's going on at this seminar because they already know that deep down, the woman singing "O Canada." knows that they're not going to boo her off stage mm-hmm. afterwards. So it's already a manufactured environment. It kind of makes me want to crash these seminars. I can maybe afford one a year. And every time someone needs like any kind of validation or affirmation, I just knock them down. Mm-hmm. You go up, you have the courage to sing Oh Canada. People are very supportive, except for this one guy going, <laughs> Boo, you suck! Stop singing! At least there's going to be a little real life injected. Not on my streets. (laughs) I discussed this before. The audience are spreading inspiration for him. They're telling their stories, their stories of pain, the losses that they've gone through. And a lot of these stories are stories that a lot of us have. We've all felt pain. We've all lost jobs. We've all lost people we care about. It's very easy for this audience to interconnect emotionally. And Jar is there making sure all those threads are coming together. And I assume he has someone counting the money in the back. Doesn't seem like he was counting it too closely, but we'll get there later. We see a clip of him on the secret movie. He's credited as a philosopher. (laughs) I also wrote that down. I assume that was put in there to remind me that I'm not going to like this person very much. But yeah, what, what does that mean? Was he a philosophy major? I assume he took some college courses. I guess he could be. I feel like I know a lot of philosophers. You know what I'm saying? Well, first of all, philosophers talk about philosophy. Fake philosophers talk about how they're philosophers. <laughs> and broadcast themselves as such. I haven't met very many people who read philosophy. I haven't really seen philosophers past like the 1950s who were comfortable with calling themselves philosophers. Sure. It seems to be it seems to be a taboo these days for some reason. Even if we're like super in link with past philosophers or not, we will naturally weave in and out of these ideas that people have discussed over the years. Mm-hmm. As someone who is a non-spiritual person, it does seem like the line between philosophy and religion is fairly thin. But I certainly understand that philosophy is probably the best tool that we have to parse through the weird unknowns of our consciousness Mm -hmm. and the world around us. So I can't hate on it too much. But I never was a guy that was just like, I'm going to read all these philosophy books. I have my own ideas. 
And I'm sure they often cross over with these classic philosophers. As far as like what I devote personally my, my reading time to and learning time to, it's not really, I don't really want to, I kind of understand Nietzsche, but I'm not going to sit down and read all of his books. Right. I had a friend who was a philosophy major. He could not get a job at McDonald's. They said you were overqualified. Can you imagine? You got a degree in philosophy and you're going into a McDonald's and you were touting that degree. And they're like, no, nah, you don't want to work here, man. Oh, God. No. Yes, I do. I've got a philosophy degree. You don't understand. <laughs> Jar, he studied uh, a lot of indigenous shit. That's what he says. So much. Uh, he says that he's probably crawled through more temples than anyone you'll ever know. He studied in the mystery schools in Cairo, apparently. Well, yeah, we're not sure what this means. Do you know what this means? I, mystery schools, it seem, it might be some kind of ancient Gnosticism, or it could be just that resurgence of, of Egyptian magic that's been coming around, or he could have just gone to a seminar in Egypt. Eclectic. So eclectic. Who'd have thought? Not everything he says is something to be dismissed. There's a lot of general good advice here. Even uh, the most obnoxious motivational person can say something that could legitimately help someone. I mean, the idea of facing your fears is that's beneficial. Good advice is cheap. Damn straight. It's very cheap. If you have a problem with a drug, what is someone going to say, right? Hey, don't do that drug anymore. He was talking about how he worked at AT AT&T and he would play Welcome to the Jungle before his training seminars at AT AT&T to get people pumped up. Yeah. And he pointed out that he was like... And I would play that song at the beginning of some seminars in the early days. And get this, Johnny. He still likes that song. Whoa. Yeah. He's still rock and roll, you know? Like, he might he might be telling you how to get your life in order, but he still likes the party. Well, he f- he's wearing Affliction shirts. I mean, yeah. Get with it. Damn. Pretty fucking edgy. Man, is it, he's edgy as fuck. Oh, dude. That goatee and the, the shirt with the tattoo on it. There's discussion of a man, his name is Werner Earhart, and this guy is considered the, the godfather of confrontational motivation. Now, there's a lot of motivational speakers, but Werner, not Werner Herzog, or demigod, but Earhart, he would do this thing where, yes, he would motivate you, but he might also scream in your face, put a gun in your mouth. I don't know what this guy would do, but he would break you down and then mold you like clay. Basically like boot camp, ex- except they don't pay you. Yeah. We see a clip of this guy, he's talking about, I don't know how to make money. And then Jar is like, well, what are you lacking? What happened? Then he starts talking about how his mother died. Again, giving, let me give you what you need to know, mm-hmm. Mr. Jar. He's like, what is what does your mother think? He referenced the dude's mother and she was, and he was like, she passed two years ago. And he starts crying. He asked him again. He was like, I don't like talking about that. I don't I don't feel comfortable talking about that. And he's yeah. like, now I found something. Yes. Now we're going to do it. Here's the crack to tear you apart so we can put you back together again. Couldn't imagine. It must have been so hard to look at this guy who is so willing to share his pain and see that maybe he has a tragedy that has really disaffected him. I'm sure it was very challenging to find that. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like he was expecting to do that, you know, whenever he walked into the seminar. He talks to another lady at a seminar. I forget what she's talking about. And he's basically like, cut the shit. Cut the shit, lady. I can't remember what she was talking about. It seemed like she was just 
speak him. <laughs> and then eventually he's like, you're happy I called you on your shit. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she totally. smiles and then everyone applauds. And he's like, you just told her how to feel about the thing. I don't think she liked you yelling at her, but now the crowd's applauding. So there's somehow some validation of that. It would create these challenges in these retreats where people would be doing trust falls. This is one thing that seems insane to me. Uh, they bent rebar with their throat. With their throats. Why? Two women, like, with what, maybe like a six to eight foot piece of rebar, rebar? Yeah. Between them? That thing that when you're behind on a highway of a truck carrying it, that you can't help but imagine it falling off and impaling you. Oh, yeah, like shooting right off the back through your windshield. Into your throat. So they're having to do that. They also do some f- walking on fire. Did mm. you ever have to do anything like that? No. Well, I guess no one has to do it. When I was in college, there was this art professor that was really in on it and tried to get all these students to do it. Is this like one of those mind over matter things? He was trying to get you to... Yeah, yeah. Get you just, he, was, he was basically pulling a, a jar. And I had a buddy who was pretty linked in to this, and he was like, you got to do it, Bob. You got to do it. You go by Bob then? Well, yeah. People who knew me would call me Bob. If you're a judge or a police officer, I'm Robert. <laughs> okay. If, if you just meet me, I'm Bobby, and I'm often Bobby. That's fine. No I was about what. to say if you're if you're a coworker or a or a podcast guest host, but you're like, still Bobby. But my but friends over time will just kind of shorten it to Bob. Naturally. Okay. But they will be like Bob. You got to come out and you got to walk on these hot coals. And I would say. I don't want to do that. Yeah, but this is you mind over matter. You got this is how you win in life. This represents a bigger thing. And I'm like, fire bad. I forget exactly where this is from, but there's like an indigenous shamanistic to I want to say this is like Polynesian, maybe, but don't quote me on that. I don't know. But there is like something where a tribe somewhere would do this in parts of uh, like a trial, I guess. I don't know. I'm really talking out of my ass somewhere, but th- <laughs> this is not something white people invented. This is something white people just took. Oh, of course. And that white people used to like, um, you know, masturbate their egos with. I did it. I'm a champion. But my point was, what if you fall? What if you're clumsy? You know who can't walk on hot coals? Uh, people who can't use their legs. Right. Is Are they somehow flawed because of that? And my position then was like, if you want to walk on hot embers, man, I'm not going to stand in your way. Go for it. I mean, you might have a deep need for a rite of passage. We, I've, I've talked quite a bit so far <laughs> about, you know, with the, with the breakdown of traditional spirituality in the West, that people are looking for a lot of the same things that traditional spirituality offers, but without the confines of dogma. When I was watching that scene especially, it seemed to be a perfect example of that. Like, he's taking a lot of rites of passage from tribal cultures, from other world religions, and making these people practice them. That's what the contemporary New Age scene really is. Just the bastardization of, like, Mm -hmm. multiple shamanistic cultures and indigenous cultures throughout the planet. But the walking on fire thing, I was just like... Nah, it really just means I don't want to walk on hot things. Mm. Also, I'm very soft-footed. I don't have those hard... I can't walk on gravel without going, ow, ow, ow. It's just a condition I've had my whole life. Oh, like a hot a hot parking lot in the summer, barefoot? Oh, that sounds awful. When you're getting when you're at the beach or 
coming out of the pool. Yeah, even the have beach to walk to the car. Even the beach can be a little rough if that sun's been beating on that sand for a while. Sure can. He also had a challenge where you he said you put your hand in a pit of snakes. It really just looked like a big aquarium. Also, these snakes, they're just king snakes. They're pretty slow, pretty chill snakes. King snakes in particular are pretty docile with humans. King snakes have a diet of other venomous snakes. They're actually extremely helpful snakes if you mm. want uh, venomous snakes out of your yard. But they're just king snakes. And a lot I know a lot of people are afraid of snakes, but if you know your snakes and you understand your snakes, I looked at that and I was like, I'd probably just play with those snakes anyway because snakes are cool. But that's because we're hick trash. Yeah. I don't true. know what <laughs> I don't know what these people are thinking when they see a uh an aquarium full of snakes because I mean, the king snake, it has similar markings to other poisonous snakes. The coral snake. The coral snake, that's, that's that right. Rhyme. Red touches black, venom black. That's a king snake. Red touches yellow, kill a fellow. I've heard red on black, you're okay, Jack. And then red on yellow, you're a dead fellow. Coral snakes are very venomous, though. I'm not sure what these people who paid several thousand dollars to attend this seminar are actually thinking. I'm sure they are afraid of that snake. Oh, my I'm God. I'm sure they're afraid, but once again, it's like a safe practice in a controlled environment it's people facing their fears but they're facing their fears without any real danger so far i'm the kind of guy where when someone goes oh it's a snake i run over there and be like what kind of snake is it yes let's see if we can't play with it snakes are fun they're great they're also uh we're breaking boards and this dude was so pumped about breaking this board that was probably scored beforehand. James Ray, again, that's who I'm calling Jar. He said, only if he or she is willing to go too far will they know how far they can go. Whoa. We see Piers and Morgan interviewing Jar. Piers Morgan, one of the most unlikable Englishmen on the planet, probably. Rosemary West, who murdered uh, her own kids with her husband, might, might have a, <laughs> a bigger fan base than Piers Morgan. But anyway... <laughs> This interview actually seems pretty decent. Uh, yeah. Piers is like, were you a nice person? Do you think it was justifiable when you were sentenced for this? Jar just talks about how he's taken that punishment, how he feels like prison was a good thing and that it helped him and that he got what he deserved because God gave him what he deserved. Again, there's not a lot of discussion exactly on the specifics of what was done. There's not... Still, a lot of discussion about the victims. None. About what happened to anybody else. He's just like, I survived it. He has this what doesn't kill you makes you stronger thing. I survived it. It made me stronger with no regards whatsoever to the people whose lives were ended and were not made stronger by the experience. He He's at a network marketing sales meeting. He gets work pretty quickly after he gets out. And he's invited to speak, talking about how the room's too hot. He hates a hot room. But he is back in the saddle. Well, he's sitting in a room, and this is probably one of the first seminars he's done since getting out of jail. And he immediately starts talking about the situation, calls it an accident, and he talks about how he lost three friends. And then he says, life is hard, false or true? Johnny, let me hit you with this hard question. Life is hard, false or true? Well, I mean, you know, it's I'm I'm still around. And I'm not the strongest person in the world, so, you know, like, it's kind of false, but also, no, no, life is fucking hard, dude. It's really hard. We acknowledge this pain that we share, mm -hmm. and I got you involved mm. in in our own inspiration. Whoa. So, 
thanks for putting yourself into it. Oh, absolutely. He's turning this into his own pain redemption story. Because that's what he's been all about. Take your pain and move it forward. Now, who's been through more pain than Jar? Right? He lost three of his good friends. He lost three of his closest friends. In an accident. He's been to prison. Well. Well, you know what? For two years. He's still here. Now, we get a little background on Jar. He was the bucktooth son of a preacher. From Tulsa, Oklahoma. Parents are still alive. They were staunchly religious. He talked about how his mother wouldn't let him play a pinball game because he could have won a free game, and that would have been gambling. Whoa, Lord. And they are country because their affliction shirts are their nice shirts, which is actually my—we're kind of making fun of the affliction shirts. I'm weirdly fascinated by them, even though I'd never wear them. But the idea that they consider affliction shirts their nice shirts is probably my favorite quality about them. It was the only thing down to earth about this man whatsoever. That and the fact that he grew up in Tulsa, which is two hours away from where I was born, which coincidentally is also the home of Oral Roberts, the the king of faith healers, pioneer of televangelism. And he was raised in a very religious family in this environment. I personally wonder if there is a connection between the charismatic Christian faith healer and what he's doing now. Absolutely. Because when it comes to the prosperity gospel, you know, you put it out there, you pray to the Lord, God gives you blessings. You know, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. You know, you're suffering now, but God's going to meet your needs in the nick of time. And much like Job, if you go through these sufferings, you're going to get like fivefold what you had lost. Job is got to be the most important biblical character to bring up in correlation with what is discussed in this movie. I've been like trying to make yes. myself not mention Job. Like, let me hold off on mentioning Job. Dude, I can talk about Job anytime. Let's but Job, but a lot of this does make me think of Job. And Job, of course, a quick brief on the story of Job for those who may not know. There's this guy named Job. He's got some wives, slaves, a big farm, a big estate. He loves God. Well, God and Satan meet and uh, Satan's like, hey, I bet I can make this guy uh, hate your guts. And God's like, bet you you can't. God was like, everybody loves me. Yeah. Have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. You know, he's he's got slaves, but he gives a lot of money to the poor. You know, he's he doesn't withhold the uh, the corners of his grain field from people who are hungry because that was a common practice then to leave the corners of the grain field. Oh, that's nice. So people can have wheat to make bread when they don't have money. And the oh. devil's like, eh, but I can make him hate you. I can make him hate you. Devil turns his baseball cap backwards, uh, looks over his sunglasses, and takes God, a, takes a drag of his vape. It takes a drag of his vape, which is a big clunky, one of the big clunky vapes. So oh, it's yeah. Like, how do you keep that in your pocket? Blows the cloud right in God's face. And then Satan says, watch this, brah. Covers Job's body in legions. Kills all his slaves, kills his family, his wives, and Job's like... Except for his his wife. Yeah. I'm not sure if he had more than one, actually. But didn't, He definitely had slaves. But didn't Satan, like, make her ugly or something, like, cover her in boils or something? Um, no, she was just like, renounce God and die. Like, you're in a lot of pain. Yeah, yeah. 
just turn your back on God. This guy is not doing anything for you. Did you not see how expensive Satan's vape is? He can really drop something to help you out. He sure can. Don't you want a vape like Satan's got? He's got fucking apple cinnamon in there. He's got bananas fosters in there. He's got Mountain Dew. Surge. That's a real thing, y'all. Job, uh, long story short, Job is, you know, he's, he's not the happiest dude in the world because he's lost everything, but he maintains that faith. Mm-hmm. And so God goes, Satan, bro, that's a sweet vape, but he never turned on me. So God's like, here's some hotter wives. Here's twice the amount of slaves you got. All your crops have come back real strong. Thanks, bro, for keeping the faith. And then he had a bunch of children to replace the ones he lost. And, you know, things were fine. Yeah. Things, things turned out okay. You know the funny part about Job? What about the story of the slaves who died? Or the wife that was covered in boils? Or the kids who died of a terrible sickness? Right. Who's wagering on their behalf? Why is their story only Job's story? The story of Job does not pass the Bechdel test, let me tell you. <laughs> The vast majority of the Old Testament, or the Bible in general, does not pass the Bechtel test. I can tell you that right now. But in in the story of Job, only Job's faith matters. The lives of others is the test of his faith. I mean, the Old Testament is harsh, but damn. That one is pretty rough. It's, (laughs) It's thought that Job is the oldest book in the Bible, that it was a... It was a fable that had been passed down for a very long time, meant to, in a sense, illustrate the senselessness of evil. Like, this absolutely makes no sense whatsoever, and it's what happens to the human mind whenever they go through deep suffering and say, where is God through all of this, right? And old Jar, he has deep regrets over the people that he lost. He does. But this story is about his redemption. Oh, yeah. He's coming back. And these lives are just tokens in his path of redemption. Yeah. Modern Job, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Two years in jail. He's in debt. Wasn't very good with money. He's great a little bit. You can see that. Or can't afford to dye his hair anymore. I don't know. We see Jar in a Planet Hollywood shirt. That's how you know he knows what he's talking about. Uh, His other good shirt. He tells a story about how he was losing faith. He's been trying to play this game for a long time this guru inspiration game. And then he goes to a Tony Robbins seminar and he is just blown away and it changes his life as Tony Robbins does for people. Tony, he's known for being motivational and foul mouth. So he'll be like, fuck you. And people will like clap. (laughs) Who are you? Why are you here? Fuck it. Shit. Fucking bullshit. And then people are like, woo. Fucking people. I hear from a friend who watched the documentary on Netflix about him. I am not your guru. I am not your guru that he's not as hateable as he makes himself out to be. I mean, I'm not sure if that's true. I'm going to have to watch it for myself and see what I think about Tony Robbins as a person. I know some people who like him, probably because he gets on a mic and is like, big pussy. <laughs> that's right. Can Shit, make you cry. damn. Shit, damn. Fuck it. Fucking hell. Quee farts. Jerking off. <laughs> Motherfucker. Wow, that Tony Robbins keeps it 100. 
He sure does, man. He's just a, he's just a man of the people like us. We meet some old hippies setting up an event for Jar. It looks like they're at their house. A guy hugs him, says he likes his new shit. It's real soulful. Is uh, oh yeah. Remember when I kill people? I'm on my journey. Shit. Real soulful. It's just like it's so much more vulnerable than anything he's ever done. Everyone else. Up until then was having to cry in front of him and now he's crying in front of them that turns the tables a little bit i would might pay to see him cry a woman one of my favorite scenes in this movie a woman goes how do you objectively feel about losing those people at that event yes. she's trying to get him to talk specifically about these people and she's talking about their death he's like uh death is objectively bad and she's like well yeah, preventable death is objectively bad. And then he's like, but you are going to be dead. You're going to be dead. And it's like, what? Now, we've heard this guy say he's sorry. You know how people say they're sorry, and it's really just like, this is the magic word to get you to stop talking to me about this? Yes. One trick you can do when you meet someone like that is to go, well, what are you sorry about? Mm, what, that's what's, important. What is, what is your sorry? What is it you're apologizing for? That fucks those people up. Because that should be on the tip of your brain if you're right. apologizing. If they're going, uh, uh, well, folks, you probably got a lot of work to do. <laughs> but he eventually shuts down her questions because she legitimately wants to talk about the victims yes. of this tragedy. And I'm sure this was an accident. I don't think Jar is like, oh, I'm going to suffocate some people in a sweat lodge because that's, no. that's what happens. But there's shit that happens that results in the people and people being gone. When you charge money to sell, I mean, when you charge money to give people your specific brand of spirituality that is supposed to change their life, and you push them to the very brink of death, and they die as a result of that, how, how is that an accident? I mean, it's an accident that, that what naturally follows from that bullshit actually happened. <laughs> it was an accident because, like, he didn't immediately set out to murder people, but, I mean, let's be real— Spiritually speaking, the dude was basically drunk driving, <laughs> and he hit somebody. That's his fault. He disconnects and refers to what she's talking about as a tangent. Her yes. tangent of pointing out that people are dead from going to one of his retreats. We'll have to come back to that. Let's it's, come back to that tangent. You know, death is death is death objectively bad? Like, we're all going to die. It's not a matter of if, but when. So sorry, Jar, if three people die on your watch, and that's what people want to talk about. And then, of course, as she's being shut down, she's just like, well, it was death was bad for the people who died. Yeah. It did not help them. It did not make them stronger. We talk more about the damn secret. I, uh, people were talking about this a lot in its heyday. It's still a book that people bring up quite a bit in this movie. I've, I've not read the book. I've not seen the movie. Dude, we might have to do The Secret for an episode. Not a bad idea. We talked to reporters and stuff as well who've covered this guy's story. I didn't write down their names. I'm sorry, reporters. But he goes, well, let me summarize The Secret for you. If you think positively, positive things will happen to you. This is also Joel Osteen. It's very Joel Osteen. It's very prosperity gospel. Jar is in it, and he's listed as a philosopher. Make hand job motion. I'm glad that you illustrated that. Thank you. And a lot of people go on Oprah who are in this movie. And Jar, he's not the guy that wrote The Secret. He's just the guy mm -hmm. that showed up on it. But he becomes a hit on Oprah. And he, Oprah asks him to come back. And it's like a rocket ship to fame. He was known as the best looking. Apparently the most well-spoken in front of a TV audience. The most telegenic. I'd never heard that word before, but I guess television people use that. We meet a couple who are Jar's clients. They're going to be. And they say they paid $100,000 a year mm -hmm. to be his client. Mm -hmm. 
Now, from my perspective, you're making a hundred grand a year. I understand that not every problem can be solved with money. We all get depressed. It doesn't matter what class or structure we're in. But damn, you just giving this guy a hundred grand to be your motivator? You can afford to just maybe rent a beach and just look at some seals and check out some nice natural beauty of a sunset. I don't know. Take a hike. Jar has been pushing. He's got a new book he wants to put out, Harmonic Wealth. But now get this. When he first was doing a seminar in his early days, he realized that while he was touching a lot of people live, get this, Johnny. Touching them live on the air. Touching them spiritually in the audience. Oh, right, right, right. But he fucking got, and no one ever thinks of this, he realizes that if he goes on TV, he can reach even more people. What? This guy, I can't believe he figured that out. Dude, he just cracked the whole code that if you go on Oprah, everybody fucking knows about you. Whoa! What? I'm glad he was there to point that out. That yeah. A television audience is bigger than a live audience. Never would have fucking figured that I out. I don't know what those other chumps on our show were thinking that they haven't really, that they haven't picked up on that. 15 months after he's been freed, he's in Los Angeles. I guess he's allowed to go there. Don't let anyone into that place. Holly weird, am I right? Right. But did you notice he had a quote of himself on the wall? Oh, it was a beautiful plaque. Yeah. A quote of him noted that he was on Oprah saying this quote. <laughs> That's right. Now, a lot of these terms are relative, Johnny, but it seems to me that when the word loser pops in my head, it's like the president. The president is probably the most successful loser ever. Oh my God, he he's the most losery loser that I have ever met in my entire life. I know he's a billionaire. I know he's the president, but every time I see him, the word loser pops into my head. Well, if it's if it's not enough that you're getting praise from the people who follow you, you also have to praise yourself to keep yourself propped up. You have to <laughs> make a plaque of your own quote showing on the plaque yeah, that you were on Oprah and that you said that on her TV show. And you put it on there, even though you already know this happened because it's in your own fucking house. It's your quote. It's your quote that's, for yourself. That's what makes you the loser. No. It's not your money. It's not no. your success. No. It's you jacking yourself off. That's right. His comeback, that one seminar he did where he was like, I lost my friends. And then he started crying as if someone else killed them. I, I loved when the people were coming up to him and talking to him. He talked to a meditation carpet salesman, which, okay. Have you ever read that uh, that story, Good Country People by Flannery O'Connor? No. There's a girl who really does not want to be pretty. Her mom wants her to be pretty, but she wants to be ugly. So she changes her name to Holga and she has one prosthetic leg. They meet a Bible salesman. So the Bible salesman says, you know, every good Christian family needs to have a Bible in their parlor. I mean, what's going to happen when, you know, you're daughter and her boyfriend go into the parlor alone and there's not a bible there anyway he ends up sleeping with holga and then stealing her prosthetic leg and running off and the meditation carpet salesman was like we need to have a meditation carpet in every house in america and i realized maybe he's like the modern pseudo hippie version of flannery o'connor's bible salesman <laughs> he really wants meditation carpets like he really does he is he is the new spiritual charlatan that's just one of many people that approached jar after this 
seminar. Oh man, I love that lady who was came straight up to him. She was like, "So can I work for you? I would be great. I would be. I I've been to all your seminars. I know everything you've ever said. Blah 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 blah." She's like begging for a job, and he's just like, "I just got out of jail." Lady. You're right. This lady is complimenting how handsome he is. Was like, "I'm going to be really famous. I want you to be my mentor." Oh yeah. Uh, we meet a guy who talks about how. He was in a car wreck and he lost his job. Things have been really hard. But don't worry, he is motivated to spend money on James Ray seminars. Look, if you've lost your job, don't hand a guru thousands of bucks. That's not, you're going to lose a thousand dollars. No, see, if you lose your job, you go up to the guru and ask for money. Yeah. If they've got that much money. Yeah, ask them. And for they money. really care about your well being and they're not douchebags. And if they're like, no, they'll be like, well, you got to spend money to make money. Just flip their script on them. Oh, man. Good one. You're like, I guess you just lack fundamental faith. Let's guru the gurus. Oh, God. Guru the shit out of some gurus. Put this positive generosity into the universe. That's going to come back to you, right? That's part of your whole... No, it's not, actually. There's a guy in a stupid hat who tells Jar that he really liked his seminar. I don't know if it was like a fedora or like a fishing hat. But the bill was like flipped up. It looks. Oh, hell yeah. That's a stupid ass hat. Guy, if you're listening, I don't know your name. That was a stupid hat. <laughs> Throw your stupid hat in the campfire. Also, stupid decision just to be there. I'm sorry. Well, I shouldn't even say that because I'm sure you figured that out by now and I don't want to rub it in. Jar is successfully using prison to feed into his self-suffering, which fuels the pain to overcome mm-hmm. and creating mm-hmm. his redemption story. Cue the economic downturn in 2008, where he's saying, you know, before they were spending money on my, you know, we, we believe that we are going to keep getting richer. We were in a prosperous time. And then the recession hit. And yeah. he said, people didn't care anymore about harmonic wealth. They cared about save my house. That seems completely understandable. One of his rare moments of lucidity. Yeah. One of his rare moments where he's like, you know what? I think I know what's going on in the universe in other people's lives. <laughs> but then because he understands how hard it is for everybody, he's got a limited time only offer, you know, on his hierarchy of he's got this pyramid. Right, this pyramid. Of classes you can take. It's very Scientology-like, actually. Yeah. He's got these levels in his program. So people at the bottom on Harmonic Wealth can now jump straight to the top. Whoa. To the eye of the pyramid. To spiritual warrior. How much? In the grand scheme of things, with what you're going to get back. Why are you even counting the cost? I just lost my home. I had to put my husband down. Sorry, I'm not good at being a sociopath. You're going to have to. (laughs) You can't even fake sociopathy. You know what? That's why we keep you around, Johnny. Thank you. In established religions and even newer religions that are somewhat honorable, you go through stages and every stage is necessary. It's the same with AA's 12 steps. You can't tackle step four until you've tackled step one. You have to tackle these things in order. And he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. People are really poor right now. Straight to the top. They're not ready for this, but whatever. But don't worry. He still has some very helpful retreats that he's selling. Yes. Tens of thousands of dollars. If you want to be a spiritual warrior, go out in the desert for five days. Only like tens of thousands of dollars. We're getting into the nit grit. We now go to a retreat, $10,000 retreat. Around the time of an economic downturn, this crisis means that these people really need to get with what this guy's going to give. Agreed. Jar says the exercises here are meant to go very deep. It's not going to be comfortable work. You can sleep if you want. I wouldn't recommend it. 
Wouldn't recommend sleeping. Economic downturn means this guy's getting back to basics. By not sleeping. By not sleeping, running a lot. It seems like sleep is one of the first sacrifices in productivity. We have a very worked culture. Japan has extreme problems on this level. Folks, getting sleep is incredibly important. Super important. There's nothing good about forcing yourself not to sleep. The phrase used to be early to bed and early to rise. Makes a young man healthy, wealthy, and alive. And now it's late to bed and early to rise. He's shaving people's heads, the women especially, because that's who it matters the most mm-hmm. to, I suppose. Gotta gotta give up the only thing you have left. How else are you going to convince the universe you're serious? And into the sweat lodge we go. Now, this sweat lodge, I don't know. Now, there is... Um, what, what I want to know is why didn't they cover the vision quest that happened beforehand? I wanted to know about their vision quest. When they, what, did they take some ayahuasca or something? I don't know. Yeah. All he said was a vision quest. And I'm like, what does that mean? That's probably the fun part. No one wants to talk about that. But we're going to go into this sweat lodge. And a sweat lodge, I don't know if this is traditionally how sweat lodges work. I want to say no. It looks like a bunch of canvas and a bunch of quilt layered onto a big dome. Covered with plastic tarps. In the heat of the desert sun. I assume this is in Arizona. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Okay. Doesn't seem like it. Sure, that's fine. The sun's beating down. Um... He's saying this is not for the faint of heart. It's 120 degrees in there. It's not for human beings, I don't think. This is not the... Apparently, like, elders of certain tribes do this, and I imagine they usually get out of there before people start passing out, but I'm unsure. Jar says that this will be the most intense heat you will ever experience, and you will feel like... You will die. Interesting. Yeah. And he's It's record- weird that he would have said that. A lot of the shit that he's saying throughout this, this retreat is being recorded. That's true. They He had a crew following him. Very convenient for prosecutors later. It's weird that he was thinking that way, that he wanted everything recorded because did he not think he was going to get caught? Did he, did he, was he really buying what he was selling? Like, did he believe this stuff? That's a good question. Is this guy a conscious con man? People are piling into this quilt dome in the middle of the desert. Then he goes, bring the rocks. So it's not enough that they're just in this thing. They start taking large stones and they're... Hot rocks. They're locking down the dome and making sure that, you know, things like air is not plentiful going into this thing. And they throw, I think, what do they say? They made steam. I think they threw water on it and that create steam within this would burn someone because so much steam was created i thought he was they dug a pit in the middle of the dome and they put rocks in there i thought they were bringing heated rocks i guess into the middle of the sweat lodge and i guess and that the steam is generated from there the steam is generated like in a sauna from pouring the water over the rocks one lady is discussing her experience in this and is like what is the point that's the question I've been asking since the film started. The entire time. Liz, who actually is a team facilitator, a woman named Liz, Liz is not moving. And Jar, James That's, Arthur Ray, name is Ray, says, uh, Liz has done this before. She is an adult. She's done this before. She knows what she's getting into. And people want to leave, but they feel like it is a sign of weakness if they do. Yes. To the point where one of them... I guess it was a lady who was involved in the team who was, I don't know if it was the one who did pass out and was non-responsive. Liz was a part of the team. She is one that. The lady next to her had looked over 
and noticed that her breathing was not right. She was just sweating way too much. Things were wrong. And she said, do you want to leave? And she apparently shook her head no. She apparently shook her head. She wanted to go through with it. That's how much a lot of people believed in what was going on there. Apparently, Liz started to have a seizure. They had to drag her out, and they described coming out of this dark, quilted dome. Everyone's just drenching their sweat. Into the fucking Arizona desert. Right. Like, imagine just nothing but dark, and then just spotlight in your face. That's what it would feel like. And there's confusion. Jar talks about how he was in shock. And he says, quote, my entire life completely collapsed in 15 minutes. You know what? After that, I immediately wrote down, man, fuck your life. (laughs) Yeah, fuck you. You still got You know whose life collapsed? The people who literally fucking collapsed and died. At that point, I'm just like, really, man? You're thinking, you're talking about one of the darkest moments in your entire life. One of the biggest chances to feel regret, to feel like, you know, when like when people's friends, they overdose or they commit suicide, they're like, oh my God, what could I have done to help? I didn't help enough. Normal people have that response and it's not always rational. There's not always something more you could have done. No. At least with the lack of foresight that you have before the person passes, right? Right. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I'm not even sure hindsight's twenty twenty. But it's natural to have that feeling, and he's just like, oh my god, my life is over. And it'd be too much to expect people to say the absolute right thing all the time. No. But this guy could not be doing it more wrong. <laughs> this guy who created a skill out of getting people to flock to him, to doing what he does, to inspire people, because I'm sure people legitimately feel inspired of by course. this guy. Of course, and he's pushing them past where they want to go. At this point, he's pushing them to the point of physical danger. And then they die, and he's just like, oh, God, my, my life, life is over. Oh. And then the police come, and they're like, we're investigating this as a homicide. And he's like, what? <laughs> That's the sound he made. A man named James also passed away. Uh, A woman named Kirby, she was getting CPR on site. But when all of these people arrived at the hospital, they were declared dead. So Liz, Kirby, and James. And honestly, that's the most information we get about the people who lost their lives at this event. We don't know them. We don't know who they were. We don't know their hopes and dreams because much like James's life, it is all about James Arthur Ray. I mean, we'll get into the parsing through in our rating, but I felt like the documentary, the filmmaker really kind of missed an opportunity. You don't want to go into like the life stories of three different people. You barely want to go into this fucking asshole's life story. Right. But the filmmaker could have had an opportunity to do what Jar was not doing and could have contrasted Jar's attitude by making it a point to let people know very specifically who these people were that passed away. I don't think it could have taken up that much of the film style. Yeah, I assume people, most people who watch it will understand that he's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not qualified to give that official diagnosis, but in pop culture and American colloquialism. We call people like that narcissists. Yes. Maybe not medically, but that dude cannot get the fuck over himself. A lot of people, I'm sure, have watched this documentary and come to the same conclusion about him that we have. Sure. But I think for those who were a little more obtuse, they could have gone into that more. Talked about what these people had actually lost, what their life was, a short synopsis of each one of them, where they were, what were their hopes and dreams, what drove them to pursue this path and follow their guru to the point of death 
I'm sure these people had family members, people that cared about yes. them. Yes. That could have said something positive about them. I mean, his life is over. What about their life? They're missing the people that they love most. They could have easily contrasted that with his life being over. As good of a documentary as it was, I think they did overlook that. You're right. A criminal investigation is going on, but Jar is not around. When the panic of losing these people is there, you look around, it's like, oh my God, Kirby's getting CPR. Where is James? This one European lady, the door keeps opening. She said they keep looking out. They're like, is that James? Is that James? Nope. He's taking a shower. And as soon as he realizes this thing is being investigated as a homicide because they come to his room after he gets out of his nice shower. Must be nice to get a shower at the, yeah, during would, that time. You know, like when you haven't been in the sweat lodge, apparently. And he calls his attorney, a criminal attorney. The attorney tells him, oh, you need to get the fuck out of there. I'm not an attorney. I've never been in this scenario. It doesn't seem like great advice. A lot of the world of law is very counterintuitive to me mm. already. So maybe it was great advice, but it sounds like a fucking horrible thing to do. He never returned to that group that day. People are literally watching their friends die. He's gone. He never comes back. I think it was Beverly described him as like a scared little boy running away. There was one lady they kept focusing on. I don't remember her name, but she was the Asian lady who had buzzed her head. They interview her a lot. She said something very poignant. She was like, this was his chance to be a true leader. This was his chance when people are broken down more than they've ever been in his program. This is me elaborating on what she said. When people have been broken down more than they ever have, he's not fucking there. He runs. His whole promise of his entire religion that he started, basically. The promise is facing things, being broken down, so he can help you put yourself back together. Watching someone die right next to you while your leader's like, they know what they're doing. What a fucking coward. True loser. We see Jar in leg shackles. Talks about how it was a nightmare, and he never thought he would be charged. He was so naive in that way. Mm. But there are recordings of everything James says. His defense is basically like, people could have left if they wanted to leave. Prosecutors and witnesses for the prosecution are like, yeah, but we weren't, it wasn't really very encouraged, and we were kind of guilted if we wanted to bail Mm -hmm. from this kind of thing. A lady points out, and this is not verbatim, that's the, I used to say it was the unofficial motto of documenteers, but this, the official motto of documenteers is not verbatim. And she points out that what the things that she learned the most regarding Jar and his retreats and his seminars is not from anything that Jar said or taught her, but it's from the tragedy that she went through watching friends die at this retreat. He is found guilty of negligent homicide. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds perfectly fucking fair. He gets sentenced two months later, and he gets put away for two years. He could have gotten nine to ten. I mean, he goes to prison, prison. He goes to fucking prison. But two years, he could have gotten four times that He could have. Amount. So in a lot of ways, he is a little lucky. He could have. Also, like his followers talked about the actual trauma he went through in prison because he's trying to dig their deepest, most painful secrets out of them. But he's not talking about what the fuck happened in prison. No, he doesn't really talk. Yeah, not much at all. He just says he learned a lot. Oh, you know, I learned a lot. Yeah, we all learn a lot. Yeah, fine. (laughs) We probably could have guessed that you'd learned a lot of things. Maybe you have to pay to go to a (laughs) seminar to hear his secrets about what happened there and what he actually went through. He says these words. 
there's a lot of hubris that comes with being a savior. He two did. Years. He did say, to be fair, I recognize my arrogance. Yeah. There's a lot of hubris that comes with being a savior. One of the few moments where he actually says something that shows he has a soul. There's a human deep down somewhere in that in him. But the shittiest people don't realize that they're shitty. No, no, I think he, I, I really think he's buying into it. That's what makes a good villain. Magneto thinks that he's pushing forth the next evolution of humanity. Or like Killmonger. Yeah, or Killmonger. He's got some, he's got some great ideas. I mean, a lot of people are thinking that he's, he's got some great ideas, but he doesn't realize he's so violent that it also makes him beat up women. And he's reacting to very legitimate injustices. Yes, absolutely. And the judge, when he sentences him, this is kind of interesting because he kind of sideburns the clients for buying into what this douchebag has to say and spending lots of money doing what this douchebag says. But he also, at the same time, understands that Jar has a high capacity for influence. He's trained for this kind of thing. Make a small crowd of people go into a quilted dome in the middle of the desert. I wrote down what the judge had said at the sentencing, and he said he believed that he was helping people. Mm -hmm. And the evidence is that people believed that they were being helped. He's talking about the process of belief and it feeding mm -hmm. off of itself. I mean, he could have just come straight out and said, you're a fucking cult. <laughs> but, you know, his followers have lost things and they're pretty disillusioned at this point. So I think he's given them some he's given them some leniency in the tragedy that they've just witnessed and been through, you know, and realized that James Arthur Ray, even though he might be drinking his own Kool-Aid, he still didn't give a shit about their lives. Yeah, at the end of the day. I think they finally recognized that. We see him at a harmonic wealth seminar. This is the thing that he's been pushing since he's getting out of jail or prison. And he talks about his responsibility for the tragedy. And he says, I'm responsible. I am responsible. But he points out, Johnny, that that's the first time in American history. I don't know whether or not this is true. This doesn't sound like what I've learned, but. That an accident was charged as a crime. I doubt that's true. Come on. Has anyone ever told him about vehicular manslaughter? Yeah. Well, he said this is the first time in American history that consenting adults had gotten together and done something. When people died as a result, that was charged as a crime, yeah. as a murder, or as a manslaughter. Well, you poor thing. Well, you only got two years for the fucking death of three people. Yeah. I am responsible, not guilty. I am going to fully own this, except for the charge that I killed people because I was fucking dumb. A couple of people point this out about how they stepped away from the personal transformation path for a long time. But after some time, they were finally able to go back into hearing the perspectives of other gurus. I'm sure not everyone had this outlook. I'm sure a lot of people were like, look, I just need to find my fulfillment in my own way. This is how cult comparisons and any comparison to religions fit. They don't really change that much. They understand that tragedy. They know enough to not trust this guy. But they never said to themselves, I'm going to stop going to seminars. I'm going to stop paying thousands of dollars to people with their personality types that really go into this. I'm sure they do get something out of it. Right. I mean, they, they find meaning in what they do. And then they use the tools they're given to find their own path. Where is the point in which they go, I've got it. 
Because you're never not going to have a bad day. You're never not going to have a sad day. You can work your ass off and lose. That happens to people every single day. Yeah. And we've seen it now in several movies we've covered. Uh, We've got the Jedi Retreat. We've got the the Jesus Camp. Even even in a hole in the head, people are going to retreats or going to probably similar things to get these holes in their head. They're they're apparently in, in connection with each other. And I'm sure everything is amazing when you're in these environments surrounded by it. Right. It's got to change. It would change even a cynical asshole like me if I'm in the woods pretending to be a Jedi for five days. I'm going to feel something, but then you're going to walk away from it. His whole spirituality is basically based around shit's going to suck. Things are going to suck. It's going to push you forward. It's going to move you. This is, go- this is how it's going to be until you're dead. It seems like they've internalized that. And I think that for the most part, it's a relatively healthy way to view life. I think that has changed their life. I think they are the people who still stuck around, you know, the people who still kept going to seminars by different people. I think they viewed it like a religion and you don't you don't give up religion until you die unless you straight up leave the religion, you know? Some people leave and they uh and they're like, "Well, that was a learning experience for me. I uh, I'm going to keep the parts that improved my life and throw the rest out." And some people are just like Maybe I haven't found the right religion yet. Maybe I haven't found the right leader. And there are people who are addicted to self-help seminars and will never stop being addicted to that. People want to be motivated, and I totally understand that. Inspiration is a beautiful, powerful thing. For me, I have this natural caution against Mm -hmm. inspirers. By my nature, my brain is wired to believe that people like this guy are constantly full of shit. Right. We all have these people on our social networks, that one person who's constantly like making these like inspirational meme posts constantly. You get the vibe that this person has deemed themselves an inspirer. And it's not the inspiration that I'm against. It's those that feel like that they are leaders when they're questioned on anything that they might be doing or that their purpose of what they choose to do. The answer to that is, oh, I just want to inspire people. There's something... It may not be obvious at first, it may not be obvious at all. And I know these people might mean things very innocently, Yeah, but that's a path to danger. It can be a path to danger. But also when people are like that, that's more about themselves than the actual act of inspiration. Because the thing I love about inspiration when it happens to me is that it just hits me like a ton of bricks. Like you hear a song or you watch a movie or fuck, you're just out into the world and you see amazing interactions by beautiful strangers you've never met. And that can just trigger something in your brain. It's like it snowballs and then those create those creative forces start building. That's, and it rarely comes from someone who intends to inspire you in the first place. Yeah. They're natural. People can say things, they can plant the seed, but like if you go to an event that's supposed to inspire you and you feel inspired while you're there, isn't that rushing the process of inspiration yeah. in a lot of ways? True inspiration is magic that you can't quantify that comes out of nowhere. Or fucking control. I mean, inspiration, I mean, it comes from the idea that there were spirits or there was a god this is the history of i mean just a very brief history where the term inspiration came from is that you know you were you were visited by spirits by something outside of yourself that showed you what was going on and so the fact that you can like pay someone to do that 
is is a little bit outrageous. I think the things that bother me the most in all levels, whether whether it be kind of this new age spirituality thing, to you know casual inspirers or to mainstream religion is it's always about money. Money is always involved somehow. And, and if you believe in, say, a God, then you can't possibly believe that the money in your wallet really means anything to something that can create and destroy on that on that grandiose level. But at the same time, we're all in this society, in this economy, where we don't have any choice but to go by these monetary kind of rules, it becomes so hard to separate these things. A lot of people feel like they have to have spiritual motivations and everyone has to have money. And when those things link together, then that's truly the main motivator to take advantage of people who really might need a lot of help. The guy who comes around, whether it be a guru or whatever, and he says, look, I just want to help you out spiritually. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Fate doesn't need your money. The universe doesn't need your money. That's a person that a cynical asshole like me will be like, I wonder what this guy's got to say. Yeah, absolutely. But that person, I mean, fucking Gandhi maybe was like that. Maybe. I don't know that much about Gandhi. I want to say the Dalai Lama maybe is like that, but he sells books. A lot of early Christianity held to those rules as well. In the in the DK, this is these are the rules I, I go by when it comes to spiritual leaders and gurus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm skeptical of all of them, whether they're asking for my money or not. Sure. But in the DK, it was written before the uh, the Book of Mark. Like the it was written before the New Testament was even started. It said that if a prophet comes to your town and he asks for money to feed the poor. You give it to him. Mm. We're supposed to feed the poor. If he comes to your town and he asks for money to get to the next town, yeah, you can give it to him. You know, dude's got to eat and he's got to be able to continue his work. But if he comes to your town and he asks for more money than is necessary, he's not a prophet. Shut him out. Sounds good. I mean, it's pretty solid advice, no matter what you believe. I think that's one of the things that's uh, that's one of the things I've held to, even through all my doubts about religion, my weird meandering path that's one of the things that really that really stuck with me the director is sitting with jar and the director states how did this happen how did all this happen and jar says it had to happen that's how i had to grow and i think i came out of it okay well you're breathing he is joe we talked about this yes and the thing about it is it's intrinsic to the self-help society that you have to show people that you've overcome these problems. You have to be victorious. You have to have already conquered or claimed to conquer what these people are coming here to help. So you can't really, to be a true self-help guru, I mean, to be a self-help guru that's successful, not a true one, you are supposed to lead them to believe that you have already fought and killed the dragon, which means there's almost no room to be a person that I would actually respect. Someone who's like, listen, I found something that's helping me. I'm not there yet. There's a lot of shit I need to get over. Mm-hmm. I've got flaws. You've got flaws. Here's what I think helps. Let's work this out. And that's just, that's not, that's not part of the program. That's not what makes you money. That's not what keeps you in the spotlight. At the the very end of the movie... After he says that, there's this long camera shot of him just staring at the camera. And then he goes, 
and that's the end of the movie. It's a long camera shot, though. Like he's <laughs> he's smiling. He's doing his self help face. You a, know, a sustained eye it's contact. Like, I've made it. He's keeping eye contact. You can just see his. You know, when someone tells you to say cheese, but it takes them like fifteen seconds to take the picture, and you can feel your smile drooping. It was that. <laughs> that was good. You could watch that happening in his face. He's like, <sighs> came out of it fine. Now, Johnny, I'll tell you one thing I'll never pray to. It's a star. Fucking gaseous balls of garbage. Assholes. Think they're so important. five-pointed children's uh, representations of Mm -mm. celestial bullshit. Now, who may? I mean, what, like kids can't draw circles? Are they that dumb? Yeah, that's what they are with, like, rings of fire around them. Some adults haven't even figured that out, like, that that they can just draw circles and be like, those are stars. If your child is drawing stars on things or, say, rating things by stars on anything other than the documenteers show on the Apple. Apple podcast. On the Apple podcast. You should instead steer them towards the Herzog rating system. If we could get every teacher, you know how teachers will do a star sticker on a paper. We need to give these teachers a Herzog chart, a sheet of Herzog stickers to put a little Herzog head on a paper. If the kid does really well, that is a legitimately amazing idea that I just came up with. Dude, look look for uh, Herzog stickers in our merch section pretty soon. That's got to happen. It really does. But yes, we rate things in a Herzog rating scale. I'm going to give it one through five Herzogs. You're going to give it one through five Herzogs. We are going to link our ratings together for the best out of 10 Herzogs. This is my thoughts on this movie, Enlighten Us, by Jenny Karchman. A CNN Films, Clinton News Network film. This movie was pretty fascinating, and it kind of lived up to my expectations when I went into this, and I did know that people died something to do with what this guy did. I'd honestly never heard this story before, never heard of this guy before. I'm naturally just not drawn to this kind of stuff, but I am very interested in objectively analyzing these kind of things. Agreed. Hence why we're here doing this episode on the Documenteers. So as far as living up to me, my expectations of not liking this guy, I pretty much hit all the nails on the head for that. So admittedly, there was a part of me that loved hating this guy while I was watching this documentary. Beyond that, there wasn't much beyond... There was no surprises with this guy for me. He seemed like he was every bit the charlatan who did all the tricks that I would expect this kind of guy to do. Pretty fucking predictable. Pretty fucking predictable. This documentary was pretty fucking predictable. That deserves to be said about it. And we also discussed how, obviously, there's a huge tragedy on here. And I thought they did a fine job of building up to that, because I think it it was important to get this guy's motivations, which is money, and uh, to, to establish that before you get into the point of tragedy. And I like how it hinted at it as it was building up. I thought it did that just fine. But as we discussed before, I was a little bummed that there was not at least a little more regarding the people who lost their lives in this situation. We did hear from a lot of people who were involved with this jar guy, James Arthur Ray. And and we got a lot of what they had to say. People really did lose their lives. And whether the director intended it this way i don't believe she really intended it this way but it kind of resulted that way is that it was the james arthur ray show from beginning to end and even in light of the people that were lost 
I don't think the director painted him in a positive light and did a good job of not kissing this guy's ass when it didn't need to be kissed. I don't believe there was any ass kissing involved. But a little bit more about these people who lost their lives would have been really nice for me. I maybe thought these people were done walking into a quilted sweat lodge in the desert, but no one fucking deserves to die. No. And if they are, whether it be their own motivations or someone else's, we need to know it was more about the act than the people who we lost. And any movie with jar in it is going to be a jar movie. You can't falter for that. I'm going to have to give this movie... 2.75 Herzogs. It's pushing that average. I don't think it's fantastic, but it's pushing that average. And it's like falls slightly, slightly short. I'd say that's fair. This one achieved a little more than American Jedi where in the sense that it talked about the meaning behind what these people were doing, what the thought process was, what the philosophy was, however shallow and however ill thought out. But I'm not sure where the relative shallowness came from in this documentary. Much like American Jedi, I wasn't sure if it was because of the subject they were studying or if it was because of um, a lack of insight on the producer and director's part. Because there's a possibility that the victims' families did not want to talk about it. There's always the possibility that, you know, when people die in a horrible in a horrible sweat lodge accident, that it's just too traumatic and they don't want to be seen crying on camera. So I don't know how much they were able to get about the victims. I don't know how much information they were able to glean. And maybe it was just the fact that, you know, they could only report what people told them. And so they could have had footage of people talking a lot more about these people. That's absolutely true. And just cut it out. We always have to remind ourselves when we're talking about these movies. We're only seeing what they've given us, and any documentary is going to have twice the amount of footage that we ever see, at least. Guaranteed, there was someone who would have been willing to talk about these people who have passed away. Maybe not family members, maybe someone who's just like, oh yeah, um, I forget their names already. But that's how little they focused on them. So in that case, you are right, That's there still was some oversight. Is oversight the right word? Sure. Undersight. There was a lot of things I would have liked to see that I felt they overlooked, especially humanizing the people who died a lot more and thus putting James Arthur Ray on the spot about them as people separate from himself whose lives were lost as a result of his dumbassery. I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with this. In this case, I'm probably going to have to I'm probably going to have to give it an average score. I'd say three Herzogs is fair, better than American Jedi, which I shouldn't have rated as high as I did. You know, it's hindsight. I'll give it three Herzogs. It could have been their fault. It could have been the fault of just limited information. And I think they could have made James Arthur Ray's narcissism more apparent. You combine my 2.75 Herzogs with your three Herzogs, that gives it 5.75 out of 10 Herzogs. That's not too far off from our American Jedi score, actually. It's really not. American Jedi seemed like it scored low, but it did pretty much a slightly over average score overall, much like this one. I feel like I'm fine with seeing this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our score represents it's fine, just fine. It's just fine. All right, folks, give us five stars and a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it when people do that, and we appreciate those who have done it. I want to kiss your faces if you have done that. You can follow us at Documenteers on Instagram. I want to thank 
A2, who did our original theme. I keep forgetting to thank A2. His song's only been on every episode at the start, but... I didn't even know who this guy was until just now, but I love the intro. If you have any suggestions about documentaries or you want to yell at me personally, you can email at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you are welcome to send us your Werner Herzog erotica. Please do. You may have to email it because I'm not sure if iTunes reviews will allow it if it gets too too erotic. But if you email it to me, I'll read it to my wife, whether she wants me to or not. Maybe I'll even text it to Johnny at two in the morning one night. But folks, that's right. And that's our movie and lightness by Jenny Karchman. 5.75 out of 10 Herzogs. Thank you for sitting with us. We hope we motivated you. And of course, listening to the documenteers will make you rich. Subscribe today and tell all your friends. You want to be rich, don't you? Keep on docking. Are you peeing? Right into a cup. Okay, so where were we? (laughs)